Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, we've been expecting you for about 17 and a quarter years. Um, that's how long it's been since we started uh, with, the, with the goal to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And we do want folks who uh, either maybe gave up on church, never gave church a try, to give new life a try. And uh, we believe that the God of the universe is alive and active through His Son, Jesus Christ. And actually, I have a report from Africa. We have our, tw- our 12 people from the uh, Malawi Africa team. I, uh, Pastor Brad and uh, actually Chris Dixon got to preach today. Um, Alex Tarr preached at an orphanage the other day. Hundreds of people have been saved. People are getting healed and delivered from demons. So it's a pretty amazing experience. Yeah. They're coming back on Wednesday. So please keep praying for them. And uh, if you think about it, pray for me. I'll be leaving tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock from the Pittsburgh airport to fly to um, Cambodia. And uh, this week, uh, I found out, added to the itinerary on Wednesday, um, leave Monday, get there Tuesday night, Wednesday morning and all day, there's a Christian conference in Bonte Miche province, and that's an amazing thing. There are supposedly two to 4,000 Christians will be there gathering together, and I, I think I'm going to get to preach, so I'm excited about that. And then on Thursday morning, the main reason why I'm going is we're dedicating the uh, vocational training center that New Life has paid for. Uh, it'll be opening up, and actually, I think it's already been being used, but it's going to be officially dedicated and the, the vice prime minister of the country will be there. So uh, we'll have the chance to share the gospel and good news with the high governing officials. So we're excited about that. And then I'll be back on Friday morning. So it's going to be a quick trip. If you see me next weekend, tell me who I am and where I am, okay? Because uh, I'll probably need your help with that. Um, for those of you who are new, you might not wonder what is that thing over there, that round thing. That's a baptismal pool, and we had baptisms last night. Usually we take it down after that, but Tuesday evening, uh, the youth ministry is going to be using it. They have seven middle school and high schoolers who are going to be baptized, and then uh, one of the leaders. So we're pretty, pretty excited about that, and uh, I told them just let it get cold until Tuesday night. No, I didn't. They're, they'll put the heater back in before Tuesday evening. Okay, so... Uh, If you are new or if you haven't been around for the past few weeks, we're in the fourth week of a series called Daniel, Putting God First. And it's a 12-week series over the course of the summer. We're going to be going through the Old Testament book of Daniel verse by verse. And so far, we've been introduced to the heroes of the book, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were young Hebrew men who were taken from their homeland in in Judah uh, and transported hundreds of miles to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to brainwash them and make him part of of his royal advisors. Now, the plan didn't work because uh, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who even uh, as part of the plan, King Nebuchadnezzar gave new names, names associated with the gods of the Babylonians, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bow down to any false gods. The, the way they did it in chapter 1, very simple thing they did in chapter 1, they decided instead of eating the rich foods of the king, that they would eat vegetables and drink water. And in that way, they would remind themselves of who their provider was, the one true God. And then in chapter 2, they faced a, a tremendous problem. The king uh, had a dream. And often in those days when kings had dreams, they thought that they came from the gods. And so the king said to his advisors, and Daniel and the, the other three guys were included in the, those group of advisors, um, I want you to tell me what the dream was and what it means. Well, nobody ever did that. I mean, they always said, here's the dream. What does it mean? 
But he said, I want you to tell me what the dream is and what it means or I'm going to kill all of you. And Daniel was the only one who could interpret and tell the dream and interpret the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar gave praise to God. And here's why. Because when Daniel started to interpret the dream, he said, I can't do it, but the God of heaven can do it. And Pastor Mark told us when he was talking about that, that when we become glory givers instead of glory seekers, God receives the glory that he deserves. So last week, we um, you know, studied chapter 3, which is the famous chapter about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being put in the fiery furnace. And the reason they were put in that furnace is because they wouldn't bow down to a 90-foot-tall golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. And, and everybody, when the music was played, everybody had to bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not bowing down. You know, our God will deliver us from the fire. Even if he doesn't, we're never going to worship your gods. And King Nebuchadnezzar was so angry that he had the furnace superheated. And even though it was superheated when they walked in, not only were they not killed, but there was a fourth person that showed up in the furnace with them. And biblical scholars are divided on whether it was Jesus in a pre-incarnate form or whether it was an angel of God. But the point is this. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar realizes the God of heaven is a true God. He's the powerful God because he saved these three guys. So By this time, as we move to chapter 4, you would think that King Nebuchadnezzar would have stopped worshiping his false gods and would have started worshiping the true God. But if you think that, you would be wrong. And and here's why. I think the the take-home point, which you can find in your study guide on page 18, it'll be up on the screen also. And if you're new and you would like a study guide, it goes for all 12 of the weeks of the summer, Uh, raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring it to you. But the take-home point says this. Sometimes the biggest challenge to putting God first is our own pride. Now, if anybody ever had reason for pride, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. He was, as we know, one of the greatest kings of the ancient era. He was the richest, most powerful guy, and so he thought he was all that. And you would think, though, that given that Daniel had shown him the power of God by interpreting his dream and actually even telling him what it was, and, and when he had seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego delivered from the fiery furnace, that some of that pride might have been muted, and he might have started worshiping God. Uh, and it actually even looks sort of that way as we begin chapter 4, but we'll see that, that he was so full of himself that he couldn't really worship anybody ultimately but himself. So before we turn to chapter 4, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your written word that has withstood thousands of years of time and efforts to get rid of it and gives us the opportunity to know who you are, to know uh, how your people are called to live and serve you, and even examples of how not to live. And so today, as we turn to Nebuchadnezzar and his second dream, we ask God that you would open our hearts and our minds by your Holy Spirit, that you would touch our spirits, that we would love you more fully or for the very first time. And that we would serve you more faithfully. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we turn to chapter 4, it says this. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. Now that sounds like a believer, doesn't it? That message sounds like Nebuchadnezzar gets it. In fact, he sends this message to all of the world that he was ruling at the time, which was an extensive part of the Middle East. And I want you to think about something. How could he send that message? Not by, you know, computer, not by fax, not by telephone, not by television. 
by tell a person, you know, one person tell another person, right? And so that's what he did. He would send messengers out or somebody had to write the message down and then write the message down again and then write the message down again and distribute the copies. And so how long would it take to write hundreds of copies so that it could be taken throughout all the provinces? And he said, you know, peace and prosperity to you because, you know, I'm your king and so you're going to have peace and prosperity. But I want you to know how great is the God of heaven. He does miracles. He has power. And it's going to last forever. King Nebuchadnezzar is very enthralled, I'm going to use that word, with the God of heaven. But he's not worshiping the God of heaven, as we will see here as we look uh, to the next verses. He says, um, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity, but one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. I'm starting to begin to wonder if these astrologers and fortune tellers and magicians could do anything. Because every time, you know, he brings them all in, what do they do? I don't know what's going on. I mean, nobody knows. They don't understand. And this time, Nebuchadnezzar even told them the dream. He didn't say, you have to tell me the dream and its interpretation. He said, I just want to know the interpretation. And, and no one could tell him. Well, not no one, because as we know, as we have studied chapters 1, 2, and 3, Daniel's going to show up, right? And in fact, that's what it says next. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Don't you wonder why Daniel's the last one called in at this point? I think by now I would have had Daniel on speed dial if I was King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm pretty sure I would have wanted him to come in first. And so it says, I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones, so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people." Now, you might already have read this chapter. You might already know the interpretation. But if you haven't, let me ask you a simple question. Is this a scary dream? It's not a scary dream. I mean, when I read it, it's not that scary because there's a tree grows up. It's a beautiful tree. It has beautiful green leaves. And it, you know, it has fruit that feeds all the nations. It has, it's so big that, that animals can live under it. Birds can fly and nest in it. It's a pretty cool picture. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It gets cut down. I mean, that's, I mean, that's not scary, though. I mean, cut down a tree. And it has a band of iron around it. It, makes, it doesn't make any sense to me as I read it, but it doesn't seem all that scary. And yet, we are told that, that Nebuchadnezzar was terrified by the vision. So uh, we're going to see pretty soon that he had a right to be terrified. 
So the king continues, Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. King Nebuchadnezzar had absolutely no doubt that Daniel could tell him the meaning of the dream, because he had done it before. In fact, he had told him the dream and the meaning before. And this is an important principle. King Nebuchadnezzar's experience with the living God through Daniel assured him that Daniel would come through again. Now, Nebuchadnezzar said that the spirit of the holy gods, plural, was in Daniel. But we know it wasn't God's plural. It was the one true God. Daniel knew that. We serve the same God. It is the same spirit of God who lives in us, who followed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that lived in Daniel. Obviously, Jesus hadn't come yet, but the spirit of God is the spirit of God. And here's a question. You see, Daniel wasn't special. There are no special people. There are only ordinary people used in special ways by God. Daniel's commitment to God was special. Daniel's giftedness was special. But Daniel's just like us. And so here's a question I have for us. It's simply this. Do we live in such a way that the non-believers around us experience God's presence and power through us? Look at that up on the screen. Do we live in such a way that the non-believers around us experience God's presence and power through us. In our daily lives, at work, at home, out, when we're out in the community, when we're at school, when there is school, you know, do people look at us and they say, there's something about you that, that leads me to believe in the power of a living God? And that, because that's what happened in Daniel's life. Nebuchadnezzar looked at Daniel and experienced the power of God through Daniel's life. And that's how we are called to live as Jesus followers here in the 21st century. So it goes on to say, and actually what we read next, I think is a little surprising. It says, upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Daniel wasn't frightened by the dream. But he was frightened because he knew what it meant for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he didn't want anything bad to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the part that's sort of surprising to me. You see, Daniel tells, or I'm sorry, King Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel to go on. He says, then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. But Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. This is what confuses me a little bit. <laughs> you know, Daniel is serving a pagan god in a pagan culture. One of the worst, I mean, from the standpoint of p killing people, uh, oppressing people, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. And yet, King Nebuchadnezzar's future was in danger, and this bothered Daniel. Why? Why would Daniel be upset that a king who had taken him from his home and, and probably killed his parents right in front of him and then taken him 900 miles and tried to brainwash him and who had said he was going to kill him if he didn't interpret a dream and who took three of his best friends and put him in a furnace, why would Daniel care that King Nebuchadnezzar was going to have anything bad happen to him? That's the question. And to get an answer, I think if we fast forward about 3,000 years, to, I'm sorry, about 1,000 years, about 1,000 years to the time of the Apostle Paul, actually it's more like 600, oh well, I'm going to argue with myself, 600 years to the time of the Apostle Paul, we read these words in Romans chapter 13, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So Daniel, two, you know, a long time before these words were written, he lived those words. He realized that even though King Nebuchadnezzar was wicked, it was God who had put him in place. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in place. That's a very important principle for us. 
No, we don't have a king over us. And, and, you know, there are government leaders over us. But think about it in a more personal level. What about our bosses at work, our teachers at school? Those people, God has actually put those people in place. What if we live the way Daniel did toward King Nebuchadnezzar? Whether we like our boss or our teacher or not, that we would want to serve them and want the best for them. How would that change the world if every Christian in the world would do that? And so then it says, the tree you saw, he's starting to interpret the the dream. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and the birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. So far, so good. This, this dream so far is just like chapter 2 where, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar is the head of the, the image that he saw. It's great. It's good news. But the good, we, there's no word but here, but you, you pretty much think there should be a word but because it says, but... Huh, Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. So Nebuchadnezzar was going to be humbled. And he was going to be humbled in a way that seems unimaginable. Here's the guy who is the most powerful guy in his world. And he's going to go out and he's going to walk on all fours and eat grass like a cow. His mind is going to be gone. He's not going to be able to think or do anything. He's going to be like an animal. So the high and mighty have definitely fallen. And that's the, that's the prediction. It hasn't happened yet. But this is what King Nebuchadnezzar is facing because of his pride. Now, What we learn here from this particular humbling is that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So we're stewards. We are managers. Maybe we're in a high position at work or maybe we're, you know, have a great deal of responsibility. If we have, God has given that to us. But what if we don't have any responsibility? What what if we're, we're not important at all? Well, the the truth of the Bible is that God can take the humble and he can elevate or lift them up and he can take the proud and he can put them down. In fact, that's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write in his um, letter to the church sometime later. It says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You don't have to be a king or a queen to be proud. I mean, what's our take-home point? Our take-home point is that sometimes the biggest challenge of putting God first is our own pride. Pride is the basic human sin. It's what caused Adam and Eve to reject God. It's what causes all of us to reject God and to put ourselves first, to elevate ourselves in our daily lives, in our spheres of influence, or in King Nebuchadnezzar's place, which his sphere of influence was just bigger, in the whole world. So King Nebuchadnezzar is going to face an unimaginable humbling, and Daniel attempts to convince him to change. Here's what Daniel says. King Nebuchadnezzar, 
Please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Daniel's solution is not difficult. It's simple and it's actually pretty easy. All he has to do is stop sinning. That's the first thing. And then notice he says, break from your wicked past. And then those are two things that you want to stop doing. And here's something you want to do. And that is... Be good to the poor. Help the poor. And, you know, in King Nebuchadnezzar's position, he could have made sure there weren't any poor people in his kingdom. He could literally have distributed the wealth of the kingdom and everybody would have had enough. And that's all Daniel is saying. Maybe if you'll stop sinning, you'll break from your wicked past and you start doing good. Maybe this all won't happen. But King Nebuchadnezzar didn't change. In fact, uh, What happens is predictable because God predicted it, right? It says, but all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. In one sentence, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, uses the words I and my four times. He says, by my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. You wonder if he didn't dislocate his elbow, patting himself on the back, right? And and so it says, while these words were still in his mouth. In other words, I mean, they were just barely out of his mouth. It says this, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as an eagle's feathers, And his nails were like bird's claws. Pride never ends well. It seldom ends as badly as it did for King Nebuchadnezzar. But what we'll find in the final verses of the chapter is he does repent. Nebuchadnezzar does turn from his pride and he is restored. And here's the thing. Whatever level of pride we have, it could be a small level of pride, a great level of pride. If we don't turn from it, God can't be in our presence because God can't stand in the presence of pride or any human sin. And so we need to repent. We need to turn away from it or we will be separated from God. So it says, after this time had passed, how much time? Seven periods of time. Some biblical scholars think it's three and a half years because the periods of time are six months. Some people think it's seven years. So somewhere between three and a half and seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar was eating grass like a cow. He was without his, you know, mental faculties, and he was out with the wild animals. So after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. That's all it took. He, he, he took his face off the grass that he was looking at and eating, and he just looked up. And when he looked up, This is what happened. It says, My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, What do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. Notice, when he looked up to heaven... When he acknowledged that God was God and he was not, everything that he lost was given back to him once again. 
And it says, My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. He said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true. Notice, I would underline that statement. All his acts are just and true. Seven years of eating grass like a cow. That was a just action. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. I deserved it. I should have had that happen to me because all his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. What a transformation. And as I said, everything that King Nebuchadnezzar had before the time when he was, you know, humbled came back to him. And this is a closing principle I want us all to remember that humility doesn't mean having nothing. Some people think that if you're humble, that means you don't have anything. You know, you're the lowest of the low. It means recognizing that I am nothing without God. King Nebuchadnezzar was a great king once again. Everything he had before, he had again except for one thing, (laughs) pride. All of a sudden, after seven years, notice that it wasn't all of a sudden. All of a sudden, after seven years, he was humbled. And he looked up to heaven and he put God in the proper place, which is the place of glory and honor and power. And when he did that, he was king again. He had all his stuff again. Now he had all of his visors coming back to him, serving him again. He was the same except radically different on the inside. And that's what God does in every area of our lives when we put him first in our lives. And so here's today's commitment. I will put God first no matter what temptations I face to worship myself. I will put God first no matter what temptations I face to worship myself. Now, some of us might think that we're this big flowering tree like Nebuchadnezzar was. And some of us might think of ourselves as sort of like a horse nettle or a dandelion, right? But even when you think of yourself as a dandelion, if you're thinking of yourself, pride can happen. Pride can happen even when we think that we're, so, that we're the worst of everybody. I mean, we're proud of the fact that, we don't, you know, that we're nothing. It, it doesn't sound right, but there's that kind of pride too, lifting up that, that we're nothing. And so as we think about ourselves, and this is the key, as Nebuchadnezzar thought about his relationship to God, he recognized something finally. And I want us to use, there's an image that it's in a song that we're going to sing to close out the worship service today, that everything on the earth is like a candle to the sun. The sun, you know, the real sun out there. Um, A candle is very small compared to the sun. You and I are very small compared to the sun. I like the image for two reasons. One, maybe, you know, that's sort of a good comparison. God is so big and we're this little. And, um, but there's a light coming out of the candle, if it's lit, obviously. And, And so we have a light coming out of us and that's the light of God. And so if we give God the credit and the glory in our lives, then that shining light, just this little candle, can bring light to people's lives. And that's what Daniel did. That's what Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did to King Nebuchadnezzar. They brought the light of God. They were small in the grand scheme of things. But God lifted them up. And Nebuchadnezzar was great in the grand scheme of, of the earth, but small in the grand scheme of God's perspective. And once Nebuchadnezzar realized that, his life was was really a life, From we hope, from that time on. So if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ, that's the thing. In Daniel, we can't talk about Jesus that much because it's before Jesus was born. But one of the things that Daniel didn't have that we do have is the opportunity to have Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life on earth, a life we never could live who died on the cross to pay the penalty human sin for all of our pride and all of our other sin, the penalty we deserve to pay, he then went back to heaven and he gives his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, 
that Daniel had into our lives so that we can live in victory over pride and the other sins of our lives. And if you've never done that, I would encourage you in this very moment as we pray together to do that. If you have done that, I would, I would ask as we pray together that you would recommit yourself to making sure that pride does not get in the way of putting God first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are God, that you alone deserve glory and honor and praise. We thank you for the lesson that we learn in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, that no matter how great we may seem on the earth, we're nothing compared to you, and that you can humble us. But if we do humble ourselves, you will lift us up. And God, I pray for any in the room or any watching online who have never trusted Jesus, Savior and Lord, that right now they would say, come in, take over, take away the pride and all the other things that keep me from a relationship with you. I I pray that each one would trust Jesus right now as Savior and Lord. And God, for all of us who have done that, I pray that in this moment that we would empty ourselves of ourselves and our pride and that we would let your Holy Spirit fill us up new and fresh, that we can serve you, that we can go out into the world and people will see not us but you in us, that you will receive all the glory and honor and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.